0: Victor Borga was a Danish-born American conductor and concert pianist, but he was most known for using his grand piano as a prop for his comedy routines. One of the stories he told was about a concert pianist and his wife who were traveling, and when they got to the airport, as they got out of the taxi, he turned to his wife and said, Gee, I wish I'd brought my piano. Whatever for, she said. Well, I left the plane tickets on it. Paper tickets are a thing of the past today, but Abby and I brace ourselves whenever we're out somewhere and the other one suddenly says, gee, I wish I had brought the piano. The first thought is, well, what did we forget this time? In all our years and travels, I don't believe we ever drove off and left one of our four children behind by mistake. Although we have heard and read of that thing happening, it's not to say we've never left anything behind. In 1966, the summer between my second and third years of university, Abby was going to Colorado on vacation where my family lived and she was going to meet her parents there after her father had finished preaching a meeting in Indiana. I quit my summer job and offered to drive her to Colorado and on the way I decided it would be better to get married there in August rather than wait until Christmas when one or the other of our families would have to travel in the winter for the wedding. It was something of an on-the-spot decision. Now the moral of this story, the one I want to make here, is that at some point in this 14-hour drive, Abby realized she had left her handbag at the office where she worked and where I had picked her up on the way out of town. She'd gotten paid. She had $300 in her wallet. I, on the other hand, had practically nothing in mine. I think sometimes she still accuses me of marrying her for money. In the end, She had to call her boss and have her purse sent by Greyhound bus to Colorado. That was before FedEx and UPS, by the way. Moral? Preparation is the key. Just last year, I did something similar. We drove to Louisiana to visit a colleague missionary, Steve Montgomery, for his 93rd birthday. You'll be hearing a lot more about him in the course of this story because we worked with him in the first three years of our mission work in Brazil and he was the principal figure used by God to set us on the path to our mountain. When we got to Louisiana, the church there asked me to preach. But on the way down there, which was about four hours of driving, and about halfway, I realized that I had packed my shoulder bag with all I would need, but at the last minute I had left it in the dining room on a chair. I didn't have my toothbrush, I didn't have my reading glasses, I didn't have my meds or my Bibles. And so when I got up to preach, I explained to the congregation what had happened and said that any fault they found in my preaching was easy to explain. I was off my meds. I had the wrong glasses, so I had difficulty reading. I hadn't even brought my Bible or my sermon notes. Of course, I borrowed a Bible, but I wasn't going to ask anyone to loan me their glasses or their meds or their toothbrush. I bought a toothbrush at a service station where we stopped for gas, I wasn't too concerned about the meds. I'd gone without them for three weeks that last time we went to Portugal. Starting to sound like there's a pattern here. The point of all this is that preparation is essential for anything we set out to do. The thread of this story is the conquering of mountains, which is a good illustration of the point I want to make here in this episode. Mountain climbing enthusiasts set their sights on conquering certain peaks. Colorado, where I was born and grew up, has the most peaks over 14,000 feet high in the U.S., 54 or 58 according to who's counting. Climbing all of them is a challenge that mountain climbing enthusiasts set for themselves, and they can claim membership in a special group of mountaineers. The Alps have their peaks to conquer, and Mount Everest in the Himalayas is the highest in the world, and it's seen as the ultimate challenge. It's become something of a tourist attraction, I think. But no one starts up a mountain without preparation, and the higher the mountain, the greater the need for preparation. Now, I doubt any of you have tackled one of those mountains, but there's always a need for preparation to face the mountains in our lives. The good news is that God prepares us for the way ahead, and he prepares the way ahead for us. That's what we'll be talking about in the first part of the story. It's about first things first. It's how God prepared us for the way ahead and how he prepared the way ahead for us. Now this is crucial. We must always remember that God knows about every mountain we will face. Some he may remove and most he probably won't, but he'll never leave us unprepared for the climb. There are three areas I want to emphasize. First of all, God prepares us. Then, God prepares the way. And finally, God prepares the means. God prepares us. Listen to these words from the book of Jeremiah chapter 1, beginning in verse 4. Jeremiah says, The word of the Lord came to me. I chose you before I formed you in the womb. I set you apart before you were born. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. But I protested. Oh no, Lord God. Look, I don't know how to speak, since I am only a youth. Then the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am only a youth, for you will go to everyone I send you to and speak whatever I tell you. Do not be afraid of anyone, for I will be with you to deliver you. This is the Lord's declaration. Then the Lord stretched out his hand, touched my mouth, and told me, I have now filled your mouth with my words. See, I have appointed you today over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and demolish, to build and plant. That's Jeremiah 1 4 through 10. I believe there are some passages in the Bible that are meant to be proclaimed and not necessarily explained. How many times do people get entangled in trying to explain what the human mind cannot comprehend? This is one of those passages in the Word of God that I don't think can be explained through human reasoning. But it can be proclaimed and must be proclaimed that God chose Jeremiah even before he was formed in his mother's womb. Now talk about advanced preparation. There are things about God's foreknowledge and predestination we can't understand or explain. But they're in the Word and they're to be proclaimed as they reveal the nature of God. What about John the Baptist in Luke 1, verses 13 to 17? The angel spoke to Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, and said, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear a son, and you will name him John. There will be joy and delight for you, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and will never drink wine or beer. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit while he's still in his mother's womb. He will turn many of the sons of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. Now how do we explain that? Then there's the case of Saul of Tarsus, who persecuted the church, as we read in the early part of the book of Acts, But there came a time on the road to Damascus when he met Jesus. In Damascus, Ananias was told that Saul would be coming to see him, and he was to baptize Saul. When Ananias replied, well, he had heard all about the harm that Saul had done to the saints in Jerusalem, the Lord said to him in Acts 9.15, Go, for this man is my chosen instrument to take my name to Gentiles, kings, and the Israelites. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. A Chosen Instrument The word in the original is vessel. God prepares and forms the vessels as he sees fit. He prepares us. You may say, I don't have a calling like Jeremiah, John the Baptist, or the Apostle Paul. Well, those aren't my callings either. You will say, but I wasn't called to go to the foreign mission field, to Brazil, or to Madeira. True, but we were and we were not called to do what God has set before you. Be assured of this. Whatever it is that God has in store for you, He was working on it long before you came on the scene. He prepares us. Secondly, God prepares the way. He opens doors. He presents opportunities. I believe sometimes we may have a choice between two options. One way perhaps requires a greater level of faith and trust. And we can choose to follow that road, or we can choose the lower road. Was going on the foreign mission field the only way we could serve God? Well, that's not the only way to serve God, of course. But for us, not to have gone on the mission field would have meant settling for less. In Revelation 3.11, Jesus admonished the church in Philadelphia, one of the seven churches in Asia. He said, I am coming quickly. Hold on to what you have so that no one takes your crown. Were we God's only way of getting the gospel to Madeira? Of course not. But if we had not fulfilled that purpose, he would have gotten someone else, but we would have missed the blessing. Don't feel guilty because you didn't go to Madeira. He didn't call you to go there. But if he called you to go across the street and you didn't, then that's something you need to talk to the Lord about. God will send someone else but you miss the blessing, the crown, if you will. Now, God gave us an open door to Madeira, but it wasn't an easy door. We talk about God opening doors, but if we have to knock the door down to get through it, we'd better seek God about whether that door is his will. But God will present us with an open door if we truly seek one. And here's something else to keep in mind. An open door may only mean it's unlocked. We still have to walk up to the door and turn the handle. Neither does having an open door mean it will be easy sailing. Paul, writing to the Corinthians, says in chapter 16, verse 8 to 9 of First Corinthians, I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, because a wide door for effective ministry has opened for me. Yet many oppose me. Other translations read, There are many adversaries. The Lord opened the door for us in Madeira, but there were many adversaries, some of them being those that one would least expect it from. But God prepares the way, and he knows what mountains lie in our path. Thirdly, God prepares us, he prepares the way, and he prepares the means As we were preparing to go on the mission field, we visited churches, and we were often asked, well, how much do you need? They wanted to know what expenses we expected to have, how much we would need in offerings. We didn't go out under a mission board or agency, and they usually establish an amount, depending on the location or type of work that's going to be done. We went just because God had called us. And so I said, I didn't know. My answer was, God has promised to supply all our needs. And there is a verse for that, by the way. I had no clue what our needs would be, but I trusted in the God who does know and that he would meet those needs. Now, I never summed it up this way, but I will here. I believe God had promised to give us everything we would need. I was certain we would need everything he gave us. Then there's that passage in Luke 14 where Jesus talks to his disciples and he says in verses 25 through 33, Now great crowds were traveling with him, so he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Or which of you wanting to build a tower doesn't sit down first and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, after he has laid the foundation and cannot finish it, all the onlookers will begin to make fun of him saying, this man started to build and he wasn't able to finish. Or what king going to war against another king will not first sit down and decide if he's able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000? If not... While the other is still far off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. In the same way, therefore, every one of you who does not say goodbye to all his possessions cannot be my disciple. Count the cost. That's part of the preparation. The means. How much is it going to cost? But when we count the cost, we normally figure out what our resources are and how much we have. When Jesus fed the multitude of the 5,000 men and their families, and he told the disciples to feed them, they said, but how can we? Jesus said, well, what have you got? And they looked at their resources. They had five loaves and two fish. And they knew that wasn't enough, which is exactly the point of the miracle. They were looking at it from the wrong angle. Then Jesus said, give them to me. Jesus could have asked at that point, What have you got now, Peter? Uh, not a thing, the disciples would have had to reply. When God tells us to count the cost, he's not asking us to count what we have or how we can contribute to the cost. He asked us to count what we're willing to lose. What are we willing to do without? Every one of you who does not say goodbye to all his possessions cannot be my disciple. Do we have to give up everything? Very rarely. But we have to be willing to give up everything. You see, in the end, the cost is us. On this point of preparing the means, I think about it this way. When I build a project, and believe me, I couldn't list how many or say what all I've done over the years. But the first thing I think about is all I'm going to need for the project. The hardware, the materials, the lumber, the tools. I make a list of everything. Here in the States, I go to Home Depot with my list. I buy the lumber, the screws, the nails. I make sure I have the tools I need. Then I start working on the project. But you know, it never fails. There's always something I forgot. Some step in the process I hadn't counted on. An unforeseen development, like a tool burning out. Or me breaking the only drill bit of the size I need. I got the wrong size screws or nails, and I always end up having to go back and get more or get something else entirely. But when we trust God to provide all our needs, you see, we can be sure he knows about all those contingencies from the very beginning. He will provide every need. He will prepare us in every way for whatever he has coming for us. We have no excuse for being unprepared or undersupplied. There's Jesus' parable of the wedding feast in Matthew 22. When a man comes in, he isn't wearing the proper garment. The king asked how he got in without the proper attire. The man was speechless. And they threw him out into the outer darkness. Of course, Jesus told that parable as a warning to us to be prepared for when he comes, so we are prepared and won't be ashamed. No one will have an excuse before the judgment throne. God has done everything so we can be prepared. Between my first and second years of university, I spent the summer at home on the farm, and at that time I was able to get a temporary job for a month working in the steel mill at Pueblo, Colorado. During that time, my parents and sisters went on vacation and left me by myself. It was up to me to take care of the chickens, the pigs, the cows on the farm, and then go to work at the steel mill. One day I rushed around to get all the chores done before heading off to work, and as I got ready to punch my time card at the gate, I looked down and realized I hadn't changed out of my work boots that I wore on the farm. I had forgotten to put on the steel toe safety boots required for the job I was doing. Would the supervisor send me home if he discovered I was not wearing the required safety equipment? I didn't know what would happen, and I sure didn't want to find out. All I remember is that I spent that whole eight-hour shift hiding my feet so no one would notice I was not properly dressed. Someday, we will stand before God, and if we're not prepared, we will be truly embarrassed because we have no excuse. God has made everything necessary for us to be prepared, and that preparation is Jesus. There are many stories of those who've gone off to the mission field and then returned with a sense of defeat or frustration, and it's not for us to judge whether or to what extent they fulfill God's calling. God doesn't measure success in terms of our man-hours expended or years of service, but I think it's safe to say that some of those cases occur because something was missing in their preparation. They thought they had everything together for the task ahead, but realized too late they'd left a shoulder bag at home with a toothbrush and reading glasses. They forgot the piano. But I need to make this clear as I sum up this lesson. There's nothing wrong with having a piano. In fact, that was one thing Abby insisted we bring with us to the States when we left Madeira. She talked more about bringing it than she did about bringing me. And I hope that's because she assumed my accompanying her was a foregone conclusion. But the lesson is this. It's not the piano that's important. Because it won't get us on the plane. The ticket is all we need for that. That ticket for success in our lives, for fulfilling our tasks and overcoming our mountains, is knowing God himself in a close and personal relationship, resting in the fact that God is all we really need because God himself is all we really have. How many of us keep looking at how many loaves and fish are left in our baskets instead of giving whatever's there to the Lord? How much time and energy is lost in figuring out how we're going to take the piano with us when all we need is the ticket.